The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we to pray and to give more than we either deserve or desire. Pour upon us the abundance of your mercy. Forgive us those things of which our conscience is afraid and give us those good things for which we are not worthy to ask except through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ our Savior who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. The first lesson comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 6 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the face, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the wholeness, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised and a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. Thus ends the reading of the first lesson.
To honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, please stand as you're able for the reading of the gospel, which comes from the gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. He was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if that child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Merciful God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you are our all in all. Amen. Jesus captures our attention with this prayer, especially as we experience his closeness with the Father. Now while the disciples do not ask a direct question, a question is certainly implied. Lord, teach us to pray. In response, Jesus offers up his own life of prayer, centering himself and us in God's kingdom. I remember the first few years of ministry serving as a pastor, being in a hospital room with someone gravely ill, or in the home of a family grappling with grief and loss, being the person the family turned to for prayer. I remember feeling so inadequate, unsure of what to say, 
Perhaps we can identify with this. Before praying out loud, I would pray silently. It was the prayer before the prayer. I would say, Lord, have mercy. You know what is needed. Help me. Graciously give me the words. Give me your words that you would have me say. Even now, when called upon to pray, I say an abbreviated version of that prayer. We get why the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, don't we? Sometimes, in our effort to be faithful, we wait until we are inspired to pray. Or sometimes, in an effort to be faithful, to do things well or right, we focus so much on knowing what to say, how to say it, when to pray, that we fail to actually pray. It is helpful to remember that knowing and doing usually go hand in hand. It is a both and. And if we wait till we know all we need to know, we will never get to the doing. Doing helps with knowing. Now this model prayer resonates so well with the followers of Jesus that we have been praying the Lord's Prayer ever since. It is a brief but substantial prayer gathering up the main priorities, so much so that it is a central act of worship for us every week and perhaps for some of us in our own daily life of prayer. As N.T. Wright said, and I paraphrase, Christians of every age and every place pray this prayer. And in this, we are indeed on hallowed ground. Lord, teach us to pray. Now, presumably, the disciples would already be immersed in a life of prayer. Or maybe these tax collectors and fishermen are a little bit out of practice. In any event, they recognize that Jesus embodies something more than they know and do. What is it about Jesus? Is it that the Spirit of the Lord is upon Him, bringing closer alignment with the Father's life and purpose? For context, it is helpful to remember that Jewish prayer intends to build the relationship between God and humans. To pray is to obey God's commandment to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. Jesus, of course, makes this a double love commandment, linking it with love of neighbor. Prayer articulates the belief in priorities not only for the individual, but for the life of the whole worshiping community. And the worshiping community lives with the expectation that God acts upon the prayers of the people. Perhaps not in the way we want, but kingdom action nonetheless. Jewish prayer life was intentional, often three times a day, perhaps taking on a posture of bended knee 
or bowing to show reverence and humility before God. Prayer was practiced. Most of us get better at things with practice. Sports, medicine, business, science experiments, clinical trials, music, practice can help things become natural, yielding a different and better result. Now, whether it is a prayer of thanksgiving or praise or blessing or petition or confession, prayer helps us enact those things in our lives, changing us, creating in us a new closeness to God and each other, all in service with the world. Our roots in Jewish prayer emphasize the one to whom the prayer is directed, and it is an integral part of everyday life. Uh, pray without ceasing, as Paul would say. We believe prayer is so important for our life and faith together that we have had extensive teachings on prayer. Just this past Lent, at Wednesday evening table talk, Carl taught on the prayers that Jesus prayed, including the Lord's Prayer. In those settings, we have been able to dig deeper into the how-to and the various patterns found in the Old Testament and New Testament. This prayer, the Lord's Prayer, keeps us closely aligned with God and with God's kingdom. In that sense, it is a big-picture prayer. And yet, it is specific, intimate. It deals with our every need and all of our human interactions, revealing the eternal shape and hope of our life in God. Now Luke's version is a little briefer than the one Matthew records, and it's more condensed than the way the church has handed it down to us in our common liturgy. But in all cases, the prayer is plural. We usually begin our Father. With this, we name that our lives begin and end in God. We offer our belonging, our common identity, as sons and daughters of God. And we do so with reverence naming the very character and nature of God. Hallowed be thy name. Then we offer what is a God-sized petition. Your kingdom come. In this we are asking for God's will and God's way to take hold in our lives and in this world. Your kingdom come against evil and injustice. Jesus teaches us to pray for daily bread, for food that nourishes us and all who hunger, perhaps an echo of that spiritual and practical food, that provision of manna in the desert. Jesus tells us to pray for our own need of forgiveness, which Jesus then teaches is linked to our forgiveness of others. 
all this leads to being delivered from evil. The time of trial, as Luke records it, perhaps such deliverance recalls God's mighty acts of salvation in the Exodus and the return from exile. Surely, salvation and deliverance is needed in every generation. In the traditional version, we say every week we take a long view. We incorporate a doxology that proclaims decisive victory as we wait in these in-between times. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And when we sing it, we build to a crescendo. Yes, praying as Jesus prays and as he teaches keeps us closely aligned with God's priorities even as things come at us, seeking to get us off track, beckoning us to be distracted, calling us to deviate from God's priorities. Just this past week, our nation remembered and celebrated the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing. We heard a lot about Michael Collins and Buzz Aldrin and, of course, first man on the moon, Neil Armstrong. Much has been written and produced to honor this achievement. Films by NOVA and NASA and PBS American Experience Chasing the Moon, all documenting the history and science and technology and mathematics, the human interest stories, all the successes and failures leading up to this monumental achievement. Some highlighted Chuck Yeager breaking the sound barrier. Others highlighted and showcased the U.S. competition with Russia after Sputnik. Khrushchev, Kennedy, Johnson, all early political figures in the race to space. WREL's Tar Heel Traveler with Scott Mason reminded us of our local connection. The Moorhead Planetarium in Chapel Hill trained over 60 astronauts at the planetarium between 1959 and 1975. And astronaut Jim Lovell is quoted as saying the training he and his crew received there literally saved their lives when trouble came on the Apollo 13 mission. Mason reported that the UNC Planetarium staff were careful to protect the privacy of the astronauts and their families while they were on campus using the code word cookie time. Now where they got that, I have no idea. One of the key points continually noted in all these films was the critical nature of things being closely aligned on the front end of the mission, seemingly insignificant mathematical deviations at mission control, for instance, could cause huge, catastrophic outcomes over the course and trajectory of the mission, causing them to miss the mark, sending the astronauts off course, irretrievable, into deep space minuscule degrees of separation mattered. Thankfully, our life, our lives, 
do not depend on such mathematical precision, but rather God's grace. Our lives are often a series of missteps and miscalculations, and we are thankful for the grace that nurtures, the grace that redirects our lives, calling us back into relationship by the power of the Holy Spirit and with the help of our friends, by praying this prayer, God guides us back into alignment, conforming our lives to His. N.T. Wright, in his book, The Lord and His Prayer, says, We live as Jesus lived, in a world all too full of injustice, hunger, malice, and evil. This prayer cries out for justice, bread, forgiveness, and deliverance. If anyone thinks those are irrelevant in today's world, let them read the news and think again. This prayer sums up fully and accurately the way Jesus read and responded to the signs of the times, the way in which he understood his own vocation and the mission and the way he invited his followers to share. This is how Jesus sees kingdom living for himself and for his disciples. As I mentioned earlier, in just a little while, we will be singing the Lord's Prayer, the longer, more traditional version with which we are all familiar, complete with debts and debtors. Why sing? Perhaps singing this prayer will help center us, helping us to learn something new, reshaping our perspective, prompting us to take new action, new kingdom steps. No doubt singing familiar melodies and rhythms help with our memory, including our communal memory. Music can help make things stick, shielding us from wandering minds. Perhaps this is one of the reasons that the prayer book of Israel, the Psalms, were often sung. Our lives and the kingdom benefit from the lifelong practice of prayer, of this prayer. How much more will God give as we grow deeper in relationship with God and each other and in service with the world. Amen.